Good afternoon. There's three of us here, and uh, I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves. I'm Greer Power, the Assistant Dean for Teaching and Learning at uh, Warwick Business School, and I'm leading with Jonathan Nealon's initiative called Working Capital, capital standing for creativity, arts, and performance for innovative teaching and learning. Um, I'm Simon Woods. I'm a producer with European Drama Network who uh, make modern movies from classic plays, and I'm a graduate of the business school. And I'm Anushka Bailey. I'm currently doing postgraduate work um, at uh, the University of Warwick, and I run a group called the Live Art Laboratory, where we test out uh, different forms of live art and uh, test out different forms of live arts pedagogy. We're based mainly in London and in Berlin with this. Working Capital, just to explain to, uh, to, to listeners, is um, an idea to bring together, to build networks um, with creative alumni, creative colleagues in, in the university, creative organisations in, in, the, in the creative sectors outside, to, to boost creativity in, in the school's teaching research. Um, but also to look at a theme we'll come back to a little later on, um, how the innovative and creative uh, activities in the school can also help help the arts. So we had one event um, in November to kick off, uh, which Simon participated, where we had a sculptor, the uh, um, chief executive from the Design Council, who tried to, to prove, which was, I think, successful, the link between creativity and innovation can be design, and um, Chris Bilton from, from the university talking about some of the myths of creativity. And now the first uh, physical event at Warwick is tonight, when Simon and Anushka are going to um, launch, produce, direct, uh, and uh, lead uh, an amazing event, which I'm going to ask them to talk about. Um, the event tonight is uh, Machiavelli and Harlequino explain the banking crisis, or You Must Be Joking, as it's subtitled. And uh, the idea is actually to look at um, whether through archetypes and stock characters from drama, and in particular uh, Commedia dell'arte, can help us understand uh, business and uh, business meaning uh, in a different way. I suppose the central question is, we see businesses with many forms of consultancy and audit, risk audits, etc., etc., and uh, the banking sector and the financial sector was no difference, full of people, but they still didn't see the collapse coming or how bad the collapse would be. So is there a need for us to use different mechanisms to understand what we're doing in business, and can drama actually be used as a mechanism through which we can understand what it is that we're doing, particularly through those stock characters. And I think it's uh, that's what really interests me. And Anushka and I have been working on uh, some ideas to try and show whether this is something that uh, has legs. I think uh, that um, the Commedia characters, uh, the stock characters, as Simon's saying, they do they certainly resonate and uh, the, it, quite incredibly that they resonate down through the ages. I mean, we, we first hear about these characters, uh, Arlecchino and Il Dottore and Il Capitano, um, in the sort of middle of the 16th century. But, um, but they, the roots go right back, um, even, you know, arguably into Greek Greek theatre as well. So they're, they're very recognisable characters and uh, I think they still have, they still hold a lot of relevance yeah. for today and uh, so Simon and I have been discussing uh, where we find these people um, popping up these characters these stock characters in uh, in the business world and in terms particularly of the banking crisis yeah. 
people that we know actually mm. you know if we were talking about people we know and relating them or people that we've met in our working careers and relating them to these stock characters which is quite amusing so we're using a tradition we're using uh, something outside i suppose t- uh, today's world to get people to see things in different different perspectives to perhaps get a different understanding mm. of what's been happening Yes, I mean it's interesting to think about where Commedia came from. I'm, I made a film of Machiavelli's um, play, The Mandrake Route, and it's interesting that Anuska's actually putting on a play in Machiavelli's house in Florence, which I'm sure she'll tell you about in, in a little bit. But I made a film um, which was written, uh, the, the story was written in 1518. It was a very big hit for Machiavelli. In fact, he was more famous for this play in his lifetime than he was for his book The Prince, which was not published till after he died. The characters in that play, although they predate what we think Commedia started, are actually the same characters. And how Commedia took place was between um, Padova and Venice, there's a very large canal with lots of houses and small hamlets along the on there. And these troops of Commedia actors would travel up on a barge stop somewhere, bang on the door and say can we do a play for you, can we perform and they would perform and what they would have were these stock characters which are based on archetypes and these stock characters were people that the audience the people from the town, from the house the village, whether they were a servant or the lord would be able to recognise and also be satirised so they would laugh at themselves and at the characters so the servants would laugh at their masters being portrayed, not as exact people but as types they would recognize the types and they would do it in masks and there's a very interesting thing about masks that you're able to get away with a lot more truth and um, there might be a quote from Oscar Wilde I wouldn't risk my life on it they give a man a mask and he'll, he'll tell you the truth and I think you have one from Lecoq which yes is, yes um, uh, you you put a mask on to take the masks off so it's that idea that these are ways of revealing what we do. And so it's that tradition of actually, you know, if we were to do this to organisations, whether they would see in themselves some of their own folly. Now, here's something interesting, because you're both steeped in, in, in the knowledge and practice of uh, Comedia. Uh, what, how do you think tonight uh, will, will go? How, much, how will you introduce the themes? I mean, because you need to get people to some extent warmed up and inside your, your arena, don't you, for them to participate? Well, we've thought a little bit um, about uh, introducing this theme of the marketplace, because the marketplace is something that's very translatable. So, um, you know, whether it's uh, the marketplace, Romford Market, 1980, or whether it's the marketplace... Venice, Florence, or whether it's uh, the market uh, that we find on the internet or you know other models that we've been looking at, um, there's something sort of deeply translatable going on. There, it, there is a, an archetype of a place almost as well, not just of these stock characters, but of a, of a place where all of these characters come to meet. So our idea so far has been to, um, to explore this this marketplace and find the setting first find the space the sounds the, the the bodies you know in space and then move it from there you know slowly and gradually into the characters into the stock characters we, we sort of had this uh, slightly harebrained scheme of uh, getting participants to actually try selling to each other in this marketplace and uh, from there you know, what works? What sort of things do they find themselves up against? How do they hold a crowd? And again, seeing how these kinds of things that we just test out in the studio or in a room, how they're translatable um, uh, in terms of 
the marketplace and then in terms of uh, creating these characters and finding these archetypes. That's great. So, I mean, we're, we're all, people can't see us, but we're all smiling about this. I mean, we're <laughs> anticipating activity. There's going to be sort of movement. There's going to be some emotional involvement straight away and, and humour. I think that emotional thing's important mm. because I think that people don't just buy benefits and features. You know, there's a, somebody I know read a book called Sell the Feeling, a very American concept, but it's very true. We, we're all buying those emotions, those feelings. It's not simply a question. It's also about how you're sold. And in some of the characters like Harlequino, mm. we see a sort of trickster-type character, an archetype. Um, you were talking about the seven you know, archetypes, you know, the uh, snake oil salesman, you know, the religious fanatic who, you know, the world's going to end, give me your money. So um, when we see those played at people, characters like Harlequino, which are, you know, drawing you in and trying to make you do those things. So I think it's a very interesting about those marketplace, about understanding how we buy and react. You know, we can have all those figures, we can have all these, this analysis, but still we are capable of making these huge mistakes because we don't understand ourselves. And it is that emotional tie, I think, is is quite important. And it's that sense of marketplace, that sense of market. It's very interesting, just uh, following on from what Simon's saying, that um, when uh, uh, in the traditional uh, Lecoq method, uh, before you start working with Commedia and with these archetypes, you build them up from something called the passions, which uh, we might equate with sort of the seven deadly sins, you know, sort of greed, lust, pride, etc. From these seven passions, um, you start to create these Commedia characters, you get into the Commedia world. And I think it's quite interesting, you were talking about this book and about this idea of the emotionality, that uh, somehow there is, a, there is a direct correspondence between the emotionality of the real marketplace, quote-unquote, and the emotionality that's expressed through Commedia and through the teaching of Commedia. Now, this sparks the, the thought about kind of subjectivity and, and objectivity. And I mean, you, you're, you're using, using this in a sense for people to pull back from what they see as the kind of reality and, and to pull back also from, from the sort of the case, if you like, where people thought they understood the world, were, were ruling the world financially. Yeah. And so in a sense, th this satire that you're talking about, I mean, this, this is a way for people to see the world in different, a different framework, a different perspective. I mean, that, that's what we're... This is the stimulus, isn't it, for, it, for people? I think that's right. I think there's um, something interesting about turning on his head. I, I always remember when you read The Honda Effect, you know, the great, you know, is it 1984, that great work about how Honda moved into the uh, American motorcycle yes. industry and destroyed the British cycle industry. And it's all about uh, the main issues of that whole um, thesis are about how corporate development was Im emerging you know emergent rather than fixed but probably the most interesting thing i think relating to this was the british government's response which was the british government got the boston consulting group to write a report on how honda had done this and they produced this huge report that analyzed that honda had you know mapped this out to the ninth degree and gone in with this huge strategy and when they spoke to the honda executives who actually carried it out years later they went oh yeah we read that did we laugh you know because it wasn't like that at all they had no money you know what I mean? They tried to sell big motorbikes and couldn't, and in the end sold little ones. And it was completely different, but it was that response of, oh, there must be, we must understand how this happened in, within the context of what we understand. And I think that's a problem, that we tend to analyse within the world that we understand, rather than taking it 
from outside of the world where people would see it very differently. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's that sense of you've got to get actually a different way of looking at a different perspective. And it's very difficult in industries where norms become associated. You know, this is the norm we have on consultancy, on audit of risk, because obviously the audit of risk within the banking industry was a great failure. You know, I mean, one of the ways they could get the money back is demand the money back from the consultants, presumably. So we're going to prompt people really to move away from analysis, aren't we? I mean, we're, we're through, 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 through action, through movement, through emotions, through humour. We're going to get people to free up and, and see different per, per perspectives. Yeah. Now, we talked briefly beforehand, and I'd just like to come back to this, about maybe the differences. I mean, uh, Simon, you've got a track record in music, in, in acting, but now film entrepreneurship. Uh, you, your emphasis is more in, in theatre and direction and, and the research there. How do you see these two working together and how are they different? And, and, and how, did, how did it actually work out this afternoon when almost sort of two, two traditions of performance come together? I mean, that, that in itself is, uh, is a fascinating story. To answer that question, um, my experience of working this afternoon is that Simon and I, or my appreciation of Simon, is that he's, uh, he's a storyteller. Um, and uh, and he's he's a very good storyteller, and uh, I suppose I, I see myself in that world too. So I I I think we've met on that plane of yeah. of the story. And although he's coming at it from you know a very different background, I'm coming at it from a very different background. At the end of the day, we're both concerned with the story, and uh, and and how that works, and what we can what we can share, the commonalities we can find between these different stories um, that we have uh, and find, find something that's, um, that's relevant to both of us and obviously relevant in terms of what we're, what we're doing today with this workshop. Um, I'd say that I think that's what the, the I think that's, is. I think that's very true, actually. You know, mm. we, we come from different places. Uh, we come from a very different background. I'm a producer. You know, I managed a pop group. I wasn't in a pop group. You know, I didn't produce their records. I was a manager. Um, so I was putting together, you know, a package. But I think to a degree it is a story. You know, my job was always to sell these things. You know, making the movie was, you know, about me having a concept of a movie I wanted to make, um, working with a director and giving them a lot of latitude of the vision within the framework that I built and then me selling that to both raise the money and trying to sell the film after. So it's those things. So it's a very different... and. Uh, working with Anuska has been really interesting because she is an artist, you know what I mean? And I'm, I don't consider myself an artist. I'm a sort of enabler. But it, we're both really telling stories. You know, that's what it's about. You know, my job in trying to put this together to convince her to work with me and then to try and sell the idea to somebody else is about storytelling. And I'm quite interested in story. I know that David Snowden, who... I met here when I was a student on the MPA programme and he was from Kenevin or came up with Kenevin. He talked about story, not story as storytelling. We tell stories about, but the power of story within organisations. They mm. build up stories about how the world is. And I think that's possibly what we were talking about earlier, about how organisations build up a story. And he said, one of the problems you have when there's a negative, a story that isn't correct in an organisation it doesn't matter how often you tell the people that's not true, they won't listen. The only way you can do it is to tell them another story that exposes the story they believe to be a complete farce. They look at that story and just realise how ridiculous it is. And I think the two of us today had some fun 
mm-hmm. you know, talking about stories, talking about situations that we've been in. And the great thing with Anouska is that she has a technical ability in terms of uh, commedia and acting and directing, which I don't have. You know, I have a, a, a different set of skills. So it's been great. It's great working with people. I think. You, m- you mentioned relevance, uh, and, and I think this is very interesting. You have work here, you have um, framework and characters from the 16th century. Obviously, they're grounded in that sort of time, and yet we're able to bring them forward to the 21st century. So what, what, what kind of challenges do you see there in terms of people translating you know, those, those traditions into today's relevance? I mean, we're talking about 2008, 2009, the crash, etc. How, how do you see that working? Uh, Laurel and Hardy are Commedia dell'arte characters. You know, Morecambe and Wise are Commedia dell'arte characters. You see them all through, you know, popular culture. You see them even now, today. You see those characters. They are those characters. You know, Ernie Wise as this great playwright, you know what I mean? You know, the play what I wrote, you know what I mean? And, you know, convinced of his own talent. And, you know, Harlequino, Eric Morecambe, convinced also of Ernie's great talents and also trying to get one over of him. And we were talking about um, situations, and there are many, even, you know, even modern films you see or modern plays you see or TV, you're seeing it all the time. You're seeing those characters and those stories. And as you were saying, going back even further, you know, before what we might consider to be Commedia, because we understand those characters and we also understand a lot of the stories. The stories are same, still the same. You know, the Mandrake Rue is about somebody who is obsessed with somebody else's wife and wants to sleep uh, with her, and the man that she's married to is older and slightly stupid. You know what I mean? And how they con him and all think that they've got what they wanted is actually a very common theme, uh, even today in, in many movies and, you know, many mm. theatre pieces and stories. So it's they are common themes, and actually that's where that relevance comes from. I think, obviously, you have to find a way of translating it, but the relevance is ingrained in ourselves somehow. I think that's very true, and I, I think in terms of... Um of facilitating that in this sort of workshop setting, um, one of the potential holes or traps that I find with the, the teaching of commedia is that if you model a character, if you say, look, this is how he is done, this is how she is done, you immediately close down the options for translatability, for relevance, etc. Because um, you're going into, a, into the sort of tradition of imitation and mimesis and all, all, all that jazz which is great if you want to do a nice historical reenactment of something. But um, the wonderful thing, I think, in terms of facilitating Commedia Workshop is really the, the exciting thing, is to allow the participants the opportunity to come in contact with the idea and then make them their own. So, for example, if, uh, if we were going to look at some of the stock characters this, uh, this evening, uh, Harlequino, for example, instead of saying, well, this is how he's done. You put your foot in this position and you arch your back like this and, and uh, that's how you do Harlequino. Um, instead, of, instead of doing that, it's more about finding the kind of dynamic movements, finding some of the characteristics and encouraging participants to kind of take these on and make them their own. And it's in the meeting of the stock character or the archetype or however you want to describe it and the actual person who's trying these out, finding out what these themes mean to them, not in an intellectual sense, but just in the body first, 
and then we can move on to the other stuff later and then we can move into the situations etc so i think from a, a practice point of view that's how uh, you can keep the relevance and then as i say you can transpose you can change your story so instead of being in florence we've set it at the royal bank of scotland mm. So, we, so we're moving from, from Florence in the 16th century to, say, Canary Wharf, Wall Street, Edinburgh, etc. I suppose the other aspect of that is how, how, how do you see this, this whole process of the stimulus and the, the influence of the arts into business? What, what, what kind of impacts and, and what kind of benefits do you see from, from linking these, these two worlds together? Well, from my point of view, and I suppose you know my thesis on this, is that it gives you another opportunity, another way of looking at things, another way of exploring things. Um, and I'm very interested in that, you know, plurality, you know, that it isn't about one thing. You know, I have a, an interest in postmodernist philosophy for my sins, you know, which I was developed at Warwick, you know what I mean? So you've got it all to blame. And it's that idea that, you know, actually that things can work on two levels. So it isn't just about a business world and it isn't about, um, you know, the arts and they are not completely at extremes. And it isn't simply about putting an Anous Kapoor sculpture in the reception and making them all feel better just by walking in. It's actually that the arts has a much deeper role to play in business and business has in the arts. But, I, I mean, one of the things I quite like about filmmaking is the fact that you do actually have to balance those two things. You know, it is always a balance. And being a producer, whether it's of theatre or not, it's always that balance of the two things that you're trying to bring together. It's both art and business. And one can't be dominant to the other. If it, one becomes, If business becomes dominant, you see what you see in a lot of, you know, TV and and. Uh, Hollywood movies lately or even British movies where they are just driven by you know quite weak storylines or you know quite good stories that then at the end you think mm, it's a bit naff simply because it was about that lowest common denominator you know and and the same can be true in theatre as well you know and it's actually trying to balance those two worlds which I think are, are quite important and they don't exist separately and like I say I think you can analyse business through mechanisms from the arts of getting people to to look at themselves and see, you know, I always say, you know, the stupidity of our own certainty, you know what I mean, that we are so certain about ourselves. And when we see ourselves on TV, we were talking about seeing yourself on TV mm -hmm. and actually how stupid you can look, you know. I always remember my first TV appearance and looking like a madman, you know, which was quite... Quite sad, really. We'll, we'll manage to put a photo of you on the website. Uh, after this. Not, looking, <laughs> not looking so mad. Anushka, how do you see the, the, the influence of the arts and, and business, how the, the two come together? Well, I think, uh, I think what Simon's saying is, is, is very true, certainly, certainly resonant as well. Hopefully, if, if the arts can, can sort of hold up a little bit of a mirror, I mean, particularly, of course, in terms of live art, but, you know, I, I don't think exclusively, um, if they can hold up some kind of mirror, then, first of all, we get a chance to glimpse ourselves in this mirror, and I think that that does have a, a huge impact, especially when you end up sort of in a slightly closed circuit, talking to each other behind closed doors and, and forgetting the impact of, of what's going on and actually being connected vitally to what's going on. So I think that's one thing. The other thing is models of practice, working, let's say, with ensemble work, uh, learning about the 
the, the games, if you like, and the strategies um, of ensemble work and collaborative theatre, for example, I think have huge impact on the way that businesses can talk to each other, let alone within themselves. That's very interesting because when I was working at the drama school, um, sometimes I'd get called up by parents saying, you know, my daughter or my son wants to be an actor. You know, why should they come and do this degree in acting when they could go and do a degree in English or something sensible? And I'd say, you know, what if they don't become an actor? What if they're not successful? Well, you know, you can't guarantee. You know, you can't guarantee that they're going to be successful, whatever. But what I know is that the training of actors, because it does open up this world where you have to work together, collaborative, you have to take on new skills and new ideas and new thoughts very quickly. It makes them very able people. And I said, you know, the kids that leave the drama school can be employed by anybody, you know, because they go to interviews and people go wow you know they are articulate they can learn they can work in teams they know about a a lot of the skills that you need to operate within any form of work or business that uh, because that's actually what a lot of acting and and drama is about actually so there are those huge translatable skills which would be good for any uh, any form of business i think and it is to a degree you know all business is a form of theater Mm. you know it's also quite interesting, um, I think, the other way around, the impact that um, certain models or, uh, of business thinking have impacted on the arts. So, for example, in, in um, let's say, theatre training, there's a lot of emphasis in drama schools on the actor-agent relationship. And you must be a, a good actor for your agent and that somehow your agent solves all your problems. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is um, a little bit of a problem because uh, what it does is the knowledge all flows one way, the power all flows one way, the actor potentially is left very disempowered. And the great thing about devised work, ensemble work, of course, commedia being a large part of that, is that it teaches you the functions, if you like, of ensemble work, and it's very empowering. Um, So I think uh, the arts have a lot to learn from the arts, (laughs) let alone just you know business learning from the arts i think that's very interesting about that relationship because you're very right that thing you know what do actors do when they get together moan about their agents you know but the truth of the matter is that um, you've actually got to create you know actors and artists who are capable much more of taking on their own work and creating their own work and becoming more business minded and becoming business people i know in a lot of the drama schools actually there is a move to actually make them much more interesting about how they're developing their career and I think you see that a lot more in America actually you know actors actually you know see it as a career that they are trying to develop rather than that sort of I'm just sit at home waiting for the phone to ring I don't think any actor does that but there is a you know there is a much more sense that you've got to take some power on yourself and particularly with some of the companies like Lecoq and all those about go and make work you know don't just wait for work to come this is quite a difficult country for that to happen in actually Mm. i think britain particularly because it has certain structures which don't help that but um you know that's that's quite interesting in our organization work and governance and finance uh in the business schools um we talk about actors and we talk about agents and agency uh, theory so in a sense those are some of our stock characters in in, inside the business world which Mm. is a, a a double meaning so thank you, Simon and Anushka. I think tonight is going to be fascinating. There are some other podcasts on the Knowledge Centre about working capital and also the Alumni Knowledge uh, Exchange uh, um, a few a few weeks ago. 
um, has a discussion uh, with myself, David Morley, I'm Alan River from the Arts Centre and others, uh, about how arts can contribute to life, um, which people might also like to, to uh, pick up. And if anyone is interested in the whole area of creativity and innovation, um, please contact uh, me at uh, Warwick, and uh, we'll be very interested to include you in the network. So thank you.